So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, and we have a celebrity guest reader for us this morning, Kara Zegan, who she did know that she was reading. Come on up, Kara. You got it. You got it. I'll set this up for you. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1. Are you reading 1 through the whole chapter? The starting whole in chapter. The whole chapter. Oh my gosh, 14 verses. Zach only had three. So. How's that? Goodness. That's good. Please stand as Kara reads and we show reverence to God's Word. Uh, So this is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. Long ago, many times, um, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the exact radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to whom, for to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of a brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And now I'm going to do it in check. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's bring Zach up, see if he can do it in check. <laughs> hey, you guys, pray with me. Father... Thank you that you are a God who speaks. You are a God who declares to us who you are. You are a God that declares your love to us through your written word, but more importantly, through your son, Jesus, who stepped out of glory, became man and dwelt among us. He lived the perfect life in our place. He died on the cross for our sin. He rose again, and now he sits at the right hand of God directing this world, directing each one of our lives. Lord, thank You that You are a God who speaks. Lord, thank You that You're not a God who speaks, but You've given us the the gift of singing. And Lord, I I love the new song we just sang. And let me just, just remind us that living, He loved us. Living, He loved me. Dying, He saved me. Buried, He carried my sins far away. Raising He justified freely forever. And one day He's coming. O glorious day. O glorious day. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. 
Well, all right. Welcome to The Crossing. We are going to get back into the book of Hebrews. Uh, we started two, two weeks ago, and then last week I got a, a head cold. It's the first time in two years that I got sick and I got this head cold, so we had to call uh, Chad in from the bullpen, and he came in, did a great job preaching to us in Psalms. So we're diving back into Hebrews today, and we are going to finish out chapter one. And as a culture, we are um, obsessed with the supernatural. But just think about this. We are, we are obsessed with the supernatural. We're obsessed with angels and demons and vampires and ghosts and, and what else? We got uh, zombies and superheroes and wizards and aliens. I mean, there, there's books, there's movies, there's little figurines that you can buy in the, in the bookstore. There's cards, right? And there's a bunch of even bad angel jokes that I'm going to give you a couple. Again, I didn't write these, so, but they're funny. They're so bad, they're funny. How do angels greet one another? Halo. Ha. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> why did angel, why did angels lose his job? Why did the angel lose his job? Silence, yeah. Um, he had a broken harp. He had harp failure. Bad, huh? All right. All right. Well, hey, this morning we don't have to worry about Angels losing their jobs, or if they even really have halos, or how they greet one another. We get to look at angels and see how Jesus is superior, because angels are pretty impressive. They are awesome. They are powerful. Uh, they're used to be God's uh, missionaries, His ministers, as well as uh, to dictate, to protect us and do other things. This morning, we get to continue our study, again, the book of Hebrews, to see that Jesus is better than the angels. And that's good news for you, and that's good news for me this morning. Because Jesus, since He is better and more superior to the angels, He directs the supernatural. He directs the angels for His glory, but more importantly, in, in your life and my life. He, he directs the angels for you and me and our benefit. That again, does bring us glory, bring Him glory. And so first we want to see that angels are incredible, verse 4. We see verse 4, that having become much superior to the angels, He gave the name as is inherited a more excellent than theirs. And again, we opened up a couple weeks ago and we looked at verses 1 through 3 and we saw seven ways in which Jesus is superior to the prophets. We see that the prophets brought the Word of God. We saw that Jesus is the Word of God. We see that the prophets spoke about the Messiah to come and we saw that Jesus is the Messiah. We saw that the prophets spoke about the coming King and we saw that Jesus is the coming King. Jesus was greater than the prophets and today we look at Jesus greater than the angels. That He is superior than the angels. And again, look at verse 4. Having become as much superior to the angels. The author of Hebrews draws our attention with this descriptive language about not only is He better than the angels, but as much superior to the angels. Now for us in the Western world, um, even though we're fascinated by the supernatural, we kind of keep it up on the movie screen. We keep it in the books, on the cards. We don't let it really affect our lives because we are Westerners. We don't give much thought to, to angels and demons and the supernatural in our world. And, th and think about it. When's the last time you had a conversation with another believer about angels? and demons, and how they're operating in this world, and how they might be ministering to you, or how they might be sent out by carrying out God's will. When's the last time you guys had a, a dialogue with someone about angels? I, I, it was tough for me to really remember, like, when was the last time I had a dialogue about that with another believer? We don't think a lot about the supernatural unless it's up on the movie screen or, again, in books. 
We are a people who believes in, in science and empirical evidence and knowledge and understanding. And we, we gain this knowledge from the observable world. Right? Except when it comes to science, babies in the womb, or binary biology, then we just kind of disregard it. But that's a whole other sermon. But it's been this way since the, the, really the church has, uh, the, this country has began. Ever back, go back to Thomas Jefferson. He had his, the Jefferson Bible it was called. And he made up his own Bible. Now he probably wasn't a Christian, he was more of a deist. But he made up his own Bible. And what he'd do is, he'd take the moral and ethical teachings of Jesus, he'd cut them out of the Bible, and he'd, make, and he'd put it in there. And everything that dealt with miracles or the supernatural or angels, angels he discarded. And so he created up this new Bible called the Jefferson Bible. And the title was The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And so even in the beginning of our, uh, our country, uh, we've, uh, again, we're an empirical knowledge observable base. We, we don't think a lot of the supernatural. So when it comes to Hebrews 4, uh, 1, 4 through 14, we're like, how, how, why so soon? Why, why is the second thing you said after Jesus is superior to the prophets? Why do you say Jesus is superior to the angels? Uh, we're like, of course he is. This doesn't make sense to us. Like, why are we even addressing this? We're addressing this because the audience into what the book of Hebrews was written knew about angels. And, and they looked to angels like right under Yahweh, right under God. In fact, they, they, they almost worshiped angels. We see Paul that he has to make a correction to some Christians in Colossians chapter 2. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. And even in Revelation, John, the last apostle, disciple, was on the island of Patmos, had this great book of Revelation, this great vision of Revelation. And he says, I, John, in Revelation 22, fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he, the angel, said, whoa, 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 Johnny, don't bow down, Johnny. I'm just a fellow servant. I'm just a fellow servant. So we see the culture back then in which the author was addressing believed in angels. That they had an impact on, on their lives on a daily, daily basis. And so this is why we're talking about this. Again, we've got to remember the context when we come to books of Scripture that was written to a particular audience in a particular context with a particular cultural background in which the author is addressing and angels who are right at the top of the chart. And so we have to remember this, that the audience who is very aware of the supernatural world around them and they believed angels had an incredible impact on their lives daily. In fact, we say their theology of angels is, is better than ours. Their faith in angels and the supernatural, they understand this book better than we do in the modern Western world. So it would take heed for us this morning to really pay attention and to dive in and be like, hey, what is the Lord trying to say about angels to us and how Jesus is superior? So let me do this. Let me remind us of, of the reality of angels in the Bible. We're going to do like a little, little seminary class right here, a little uh, Angelology 101. And so what I had to do is I had to get out my, my handy-dandy uh, systematic theology notebook uh, written by Wayne Grudem and take a look at angels in the Bible. Now when we talk about angels in the Bible, there, we'll see there's two kinds of angels. There's holy angels and then there's fallen angels known as demons. And we're going to focus primarily on holy angels this morning. Uh, but let's look at this. The word angel is in, uh, used in 34 of the 66 books of the New Testament. So it's over half of the books. It's over half of the books of the New Testament. They're mentioned 108 times in the Old Testament, over 165 times in the New Testament. So over 270 plus times angels are talked about in the Scripture. 
What is an angel? Wayne Grudem says this. This is his definition. Angels are created. They're not eternal. They're spiritual beings with moral judgments and a high intelligence. They're very smart and very powerful. But without physical bodies, and I kind of add an asterisk to that, yet it seems that they do have the ability to take human form at some times. So we see that in Hebrews 13 a little bit later. There are two kinds of angels like I already mentioned. There's holy angels and there's fallen angels, demonic angels. A third of them, it seems the Scripture says in Revelation, fell to be demonic. And then the two-thirds of them are holy. Uh, there are two kinds, as I said. Now, we don't know how many angels there are. There's myriads upon millions, thousands upon thousands. They're not infinite, but there is a finite number of angels. And they're called by a number of names in the Bible. Holy ones, angels, spirits, warriors, watchers, sons of God, dominions, principalities, and powers. And they were all created by God. Again, they are created entities. They're not eternal they're all created by God. Every angel was created by God probably before Genesis 1-1 at some time. It says all the angels rejoiced when God was created in Job 38. But they were all created. There's not like a Mr. and Mrs. Angels that are having little angel babies out there right now, all right? And eating angel food cake for dinner. That's my bad angel joke right there. There seems to be three categories of angels. You have the cherubim. They seem like to be the warrior angels, right? These are the ones that when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, they were there at the garden right now. They're there guarding the entrance to the garden. They're the ones on top of the ark. Um, they're also, this was cool. I didn't even know this. But did you know that, uh, that, that God rides cherubim angels? In, in Psalm 18.10, it says that God rides the cherubim. So they're like angels. They're horses. I don't know. It's crazy. And then so you have the cherubim. Then you have the seraphim. The seraphim are more like the worshiping kind of angels. They're in the presence of the Lord right now. You guys think of Isaiah chapter 6, right? Where the angels with two wings that cover their face. or two wings they cover their feet. And the other two they fly around. They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And then the third kind is also in Revelation 4 in the sphere of God the Father worshiping. And they're known as living creatures. And these guys are really freaky. It says they appear in Ezekiel 1, 5 through 14, also Revelation 4 through 6. They appear like a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. I mean, just crazy. These aren't these little puffy little angels with their little diapers with their little bows. I mean, these things are fierce and ferocious looking. So there's three kinds cherubim, seraphim, and, fer- uh, uh, and the living creatures. There also seems to be some kind of rank within the angels. There's some kind of rank. Michael is called an archangel in Jude chapter 9 and actually leads other angels in Daniel 10 against the dragon into battle. Then we also know there's only two angels that have been given names. Michael, again the archangel, probably some sort of a cherubim, and then Gabriel. Gabriel, this messenger who shows up in Daniel, but then also shows up in Luke and announces the birth of Jesus that is coming to Mary and Zechariah and Luke. And then kind of in Isaiah 14, we kind of get an idea of where Lucifer came. Even though the Scripture is talking mainly about the king of Babylon, it's possibly pointing to Lucifer, the morning star that falls. So that's just a couple of little backgrounds. But what is their ministry? What are they are to do? What, what do angels do? Well, primarily role is they worship and they serve God. That's what they primarily do. They worship and they serve God. Listen to Psalm 103, verse 20 through 21. First, we see the angels worship. Bless the Lord, O you angels. They bless the Lord. Worship the Lord. They're blessing the Lord. So they're worshiping. You mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word, blessed the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. That's service. So we see the angels worship and they serve. And what do they serve? They do whatever God commands. 
So what does God command them to do? Well, they sometimes God commands them to come and give guidance and direction to his people, to his children, to you and to me, to Christians. We think of uh, in small, intimate ways, like in Genesis chapter 24, where Abraham sends out um, his servant to find his bride for Isaac. And it says the angel led, led the servant to Rebekah. So the angel's involved in your, in your romantic life, some of you guys right now. Some of you singles, you're like, God, send me an angel to find my spouse right now. That should be your prayer, because that might just take place. We also see that also like on a national level, the angels led the nation of, of Israel out of Egypt. We see that in Exodus 14 and Exodus 23. Yes, there was the, the pillar of a cloud and the pillar of fire that God used, but somehow the angels were also involved in leading his people in nations. So he guides and directs us, but they also guard and protect us. They guard and protect us. Psalm 91.11 says this, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They guard you. We're talking about guarding angels kind of at the end. Because that's one of the questions. Do do, do, do we as Christians, does every Christian have a guardian angel? We'll we'll touch base on the end. But just think about how God has protected some people throughout the Scriptures. And again, these are just little glimpses into history and how God is kind of peeling back and showing us how angels are ministering to you and to me and to others throughout history. How He is guarding and protecting them. You think of Elijah in 1 Kings when he was running from Jezebel, right? He just defeats the, the, the prophets of Baal in this massive victory. And you think Elijah would be like on cloud nine, like nothing can defeat him. And yet he hears that this queen Jezebel is after him and he freaks out and runs away like a little coward. And he's in the desert and he lands and he's like, oh Lord, just take me now. I can't handle this. And the Lord sends him the angel. The angel says, hey, Elijah, get up. Eat some food. Calm down, bro. It's all right. You know, he's, he sends the angel to comfort him. We think of Daniel in the lion's den. as that the angel was there to shut the mouths of the lion. Daniel didn't shut the mouths of the lion. The angel did. The angel of the Lord. We think of Peter in Acts chapter 13, or Acts chapter 12, where Peter was rescued by an angel. So we see that angels are, are called and, and sent by God to guard us and to protect us and to minister us into these needs. Let me just, let me just rip off a couple other ways in which we see angels that are, that are messengers and ministers of the Lord to, to Him and to us. Again, it's incredible. I was just thinking about this. And I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And we think about, it goes all the way back to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 19. The angels were sent to Sodom and Gomorrah to warn the people about their, their sin, Right? And they rejected the angels, but then it shows how the angels rescued Lot and his wife. And listen, listen how intimate that the angels, angels served them. It says in verse 19 of Genesis 19 that the angels took them out by the hand. Took them out by the hand. In Genesis 22, it was an angel that stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac and provided the lamb. It was an angel again in Genesis 22:15 that confirmed or reaffirmed the covenant promises to Abraham. It was angels in Genesis 28 where, where Jacob had that dream and he saw angels ascending and descending, going from heaven to earth to ministering up from heaven into earth. This was really interesting. In Acts chapter 7 and Galatians 3, angels were there at the giving of the old covenant on Mount Sinai. Galatians says that they, they, were, had, they had some kind of role, some kind of inter, intercessory, intermediate that they gave and helped give the law of God to the people of Israel. Incredible thought. My favorite is one I always think about, especially when I was younger, when I heard this story, I was like, oh, these guys are incredible, was when Elijah was with his servant in 2 Kings. You guys remember the story? The king of Syria is trying to capture Elijah because Elijah, 
Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha is trying to capture him and they, and they surround him in this city. And, 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 and this Elisha's servant sees this army surround the city and they're like, we're done, we're toast, they got us. And Elijah's just sitting there just like taking a cat nap. He's like, it's all right, man, calm down. There's more with us than, than out there. And the servant's like, what are you talking about? There's more with us. It's just me and you. What are you talking about? And Elisha prays. He says, oh, Lord, please open up the eyes of your servant. Then he opens up his eyes and he sees this army of chariots and horses and angels just there ready to do work. It's just incredible. Psalm 34, 7 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. And then you have 2 Kings 19, talk about strength and power. It was one angel that killed 185,000 Assyrians at one time. So angels are amazing. That's just the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament in Luke. Uh, they're at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Again, the angel Gabriel announces the coming of the Messiah. And then when he's born, we know we sing it every, almost every Christmas. We see this choir show up out of the sky. The greatest concert that ever was was at Jesus' birth. And we see the angel saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he has pleased. And then in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus gets sent out by the Holy Spirit for 40 days of tempting and trial in the desert, it says that there are angels that go around to minister to Jesus. Ministering to Jesus. Jesus needs angels to minister to him, to encourage him. And then at the end of his death, at the end of his life, in Luke 22, it says this, that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying. It's intense. He's about to go the way of the cross. He's about to do the will of the Father. And again, an angel shows up and it says the angel shows up to encourage Jesus. Angels have an incredible impact on our daily lives. Even in Jesus' life, he needed angels to come along in his humanity to encourage him, to, to direct him, to minister to him. Then again, we see angels serving the guys in Acts. And then Hebrews 13 says this, in general, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Think about that. Having dinner with an angel, but unaware, because they're probably obviously in human form. So what do we see? We see that angels are all over the Bible. They have an incredible impact on God's people. Worshiping God, serving God, and then guiding and directing us and protecting us on a daily basis. They are wise. They are strong. They are faithful. They are obedient. They are good. We see, and we see them worshiping and serving the Lord and carrying out His purposes and protecting and guiding His people. Now you can see. Now you can see why this is right behind. Hey, Jesus is more superior than the prophets. Jesus is superior to angels. Why? Because people believed the stories they read about angels. Just like you and me. And here's the good news. Here's the news flash of the day. Angels are still doing the same thing today. Just like he did with Abraham. Just like he did with Jacob. Just like he did with uh, Elijah and Elisha and Daniel and the lion's den. He's doing the same with you and me today. John Patton was a missionary to the New Herbie's Islands. And this is one of his stories. I mean, I could take, pull out several stories of, of these, these interactions with angels. It says one night there was a hostile native surrounded their mission statement, uh, mission station, their their little their little hut there, intent on killing and burning down the the, the missionary uh, hut. His wife uh, were there, uh, so it killed Patton and his wife. They were praying the night before because they were just surrounded again, like Elisha and his servant, surrounded by this chief and his and his warriors, ready to just destroy and kill them. So they were praying. Well, in the morning they woke up and everyone was gone. 
And the, the patent a year later, a well, crazy story, a year later, the chief that was about ready to, to lead the charge came to know Jesus. And Patton was asking the chief, say, hey, about a year ago, you were surrounding our house, ready to kill me and my wife and, and burn down the village and all that jazz. What happened? Why didn't you do that? And the chief, it says this, responded surprised. He was surprised by the question. He says, well, who are all those men with you there? And Patton says, like, dude, it's just me and my wife. He says, no, man. He says, there were hundreds of big men in shiny garments with swords drawn circling the mission. So that's why we left. Patton's like, oh, Psalm 91, the Lord gives the angels charge to guard his people. We all have heard stories about angels. We maybe even experienced some things that happened in our life that are like, man, that was crazy. I have no explanation of that. Uh, maybe, uh, like I said, maybe you even, even experienced some of that. I mean, think about that time, those times when you're alone, but you know that you're not alone. Does anyone know what I'm think, talking about here? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You have those experiences. You're like, hey, I know I'm alone right now, but there's something, something different. I, I, there's some feeling. It's like, you know, your spidey senses are up. You're like, there's something else going on right here. Those are your spiritual senses. There's something, there's something there. Angels are incredible. They're supernatural. And for us this morning, I think this section of Scripture is telling us to open our eyes and be aware of the supernatural world around us in our lives, these angels and also these demons that are warring against us. But take hope that even though as powerful and as wise and smart as angels are, that Jesus is better. And that again really takes us to the heart of Hebrews 1, 4-14. Angels are incredible, but Jesus is far superior and far better. And here we see that in these ten verses that, that Jesus, or, or the author quotes seven verses to show how Jesus is better than the angels. And I kind of categorize them down into to, to four, and we're going to walk through these really, really quick. But number one is, Jesus has a better name. Jesus has a better name. Look at it again, verse four. Having become as much superior to angels as the name has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which one of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now he quotes two verses here. He quotes Psalm 2, for which of the angels has God ever say, you are my son. And then he quotes 2 Samuel 7, or again, I will be a father to him and he will be a son. So verse 4 tells us that Jesus has a better name than the angels. The question is, well, what's the name? The name is Son. The name is Son. Look in verse 5. You are my Son, and He shall be a Son to me. You see, only Jesus has been called the Son of God. Now, angels has been a general corrective, have been called sons of God, but only and specifically to Jesus has He, the Lord God the Father, has specifically pointed out Jesus. You are my Son, and I am going to be a Father to you. He's never said that to anyone else, in particular, any other angels. So the name here is Son. Now, what's also important, we see this word begotten in there. And we're, say, and we're not saying, what the author is not saying, that, like Jehovah's Witness believes, that at one point in time that Jesus was created. No, Jesus is eternal. He is the Son of God. He's the exact imprint, as we saw a couple weeks ago, of the nature of God. He is God. He is the God, the Son, eternal. He's never been created. So what are we talking about here? The word is talking about a declaration. 
It's talking about an installation of the Messiah as being complete, being the Son of God. Again, the author quotes Psalm 2, which was known as a Messianic Psalm. That the Psalm 2 that Tyler preached on a several, uh, earlier in the summer pointed to this Messianic Christ that was going to come and serve. And then again, in the second verse, in 2 Samuel 7, it's pointing to the offspring coming through the line of David who would sit on a throne forever and rule. This king that was going to come and sit on a throne forever. Romans 1.3 kind of sums it all up. It says this, Concerning his son, who was descendant from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the key is, declared to be the Son of God in power, Paul points out. So what does Paul point out? He kind of clarifies. Jesus was declared to be shown the reality of the Son of God. He was the true Son of God in power when He was raised from the dead and then installed or begotten at God's right hand as the Messianic King. Messianic King. So this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Jesus was begotten, became superior to the angels in the sense that when He was raised from the dead in power and exalted and seated at the right hand of God, it was at that point that God publicly acknowledged Jesus as the sovereign King. The Messiah. In His humanity, He came as the suffering servant and died on the cross. And then when He rose again, it showed Him that He was the sovereign King. He truly was the Son of God that fulfilled Psalm 2 and um, 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 2. Secondly, we see that Jesus has a better status. Jesus has a better status. Hebrews 1.6 And again, when He brings the firstborn into the world, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. The author is quoting Psalm 97.7. Notice it doesn't say the angels are to be worshipped by Jesus. No, all the angels worship Him. And again, when we see the word firstborn, we have to again think of the context and what it meant to them back then. It's not talking about firstborn like I have five kids and Taylor was my firstborn. It's not talking about the one who was born first. It's a, it's a title. It's talking about birthright. A birthright. The term again, a firstborn, is a title. In Psalm 89.27, it says this, And I will make him the king of the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So it's a title. It has to do with inheritance. It has to do with position. It has to do with preeminence. Jesus is the preeminent one, the firstborn over all the angels. Jesus has inherited, as we saw last week, He's appointed heir of all things and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus has inherited this new seat of honor, this seat of preeminence next to the Father because He is the only Son of God. And again, therefore the angels bow down and worship Him. I love how the ESV puts it. He says, the job of angels is to worship God and hence to worship His Son because the Son is the exact imprint of His nature. This is again why John, when he bowed down to the angel, the angel freaked out and said, hey, don't worship Me. I'm just a servant just like you. Worship Jesus because He has a better status. He is the one sitting at the right hand of the Father. Third, we see Jesus has a greater nature. Verse 7. Of the angels, He says, He makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. And this is coming from Psalm 104, which is one of my favorite psalms. It's a creation psalm. It talks about how God spoke in all of creation that came into being. And I was just up in the mountains this past week, and we were just up at you know, 9, 10, 11,000 feet just looking at God's creation. 
And it was just amazing to sit and the stars were opened up. It was clear skies. You could see all the stars and their brilliance. And, and then the next day, the, the sun is rising. You see the, the sun rising over the creation and the vast mountains upon mountains upon mountains. I'm like, oh man, this is incredible. And God created all this. It says of the angels, he says he makes his angels winds and ministers of fire. Again, what he's saying is that the, the angels have been created to be swift as the wind and, and fast as lightning to go and to do the will of God. And Jesus, on the other hand, here's the contrast, is the eternal Son who created the angels. The angels are created. Jesus is the Creator. Look at verse 8. But of the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now verse 10. And you, O Lord, had laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And verse 11, They will perish, but you will remain. But you are the same, and you years will have no end, and your years will have no end. He is the eternal Son who creates and reigns over this world. And then finally, we see that Jesus has a better seat. Verse 13, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? And here he's quoting Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is the, the most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. It quotes like 25 times in Psalm 110. We know is, is an enthronement psalm. When there's a new king, they would read this verse over them as an enthronement song back in the Old Testament. And when we come to the New Testament, every time it's used, quoted in the New Testament, some 25 plus times, it's always referring to Jesus Christ. He is the King and He is the one alone who is on the throne. And who all enemies will ultimately be destroyed and become His subjects. So again, as we, as we go through this, why then would you ever, knowing this about Jesus, why would you ever bow down to a created being, an angel, and worship Him? Why would you ever do that? Well, some commentators kind of speculate that when they saw and they go to the Old Testament, they see that the angels were there with God when He created the universe. And then He was also there when He gave them the, the Old Covenant. And all of a sudden, this guy Jesus comes on to say He's the Messiah, but this Jesus died on the cross. But that was turned upside down when Jesus was resurrected in power and ascended to the right hand of the throne and it proves all the doubters wrong. You don't worship the angels because you worship the one who created the angels, Jesus. You worship the one who is the exact imprint of the Heavenly Father who now sits down at the throne and rules and reigns. And then you see in Hebrews 1.14, kind of gives us sum up. He says, are they not all, talking about the angels, ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who have inherited salvation? Again, they were doing this 2,000 years ago when the book of Hebrews was written. They're doing this today. They are ministering spirits that are attending to what God has commanded them over you. Right now, this is what's incredible. Right now, as we're sitting, we're, we're singing, we're praying, we're listening to the Word, we're worshiping the God of heaven and earth right alongside the angels. Right now, every Sunday when we get together and gather and we've got together to gather and worship. It points us to Zion. It talks about this, uh, this thing going in Hebrews. I think it's chapter 13 that we'll get to where it talks about the angels are worshiping. We're gathering right now with the angels in heaven worshiping the Lord. It's an incredible thought. So the question is for us today, like, how should we approach thinking about angels in our everyday lives? And really Hebrews 2.1, as we look at next week, really kind of gives up the the action point of what we say it says, therefore, we must put mu pay much more. Uh, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away. And we're going to touch about that a little bit more. 
But again, everything we've heard in these last couple sermons on Hebrews is like, hey, we've brought to our attention, we must remember who Jesus is. That He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He is the one that we need to be bowing down and worshiping and following. So again, how should we approach thinking about angels in our everyday lives? Well, one, we should start thinking about angels in our everyday lives. Right? That's the first thing. Again, we don't bow down or worship, but we think about, hey, what, how the Lord might be sending angels to, to minister in our lives. We need to be a little bit more aware that they are engaged in our lives more than we think. Here's two verses that are pretty incredible that one you know that you just kind of fly by, and one I bet you didn't really, really know about. That angels that you know when you repented and trusted in Christ, what were the angels doing in heaven? Rejoicing, right? They were rejoicing. They were excited. They said, they, they say you come to faith, and they were rejoicing over you coming to faith. All of heaven. Think about that. That's an incredible thought. Rejoicing that you came to faith. First Peter tells us that, that, that angels, they, they kind of stretch out their necks, so to speak, to look into salvation, thinking like, holy cow, what an incredible gift that God has showed upon us, this gift of salvation. They rejoice. So they're, they're there when you crossed over from death to life. You, you've been born again. But here's the other thing. They might even be, if you pass away, at your death. This verse in Luke 18 with the rich man and Lazarus. Really interesting. Luke 16, sorry. Verse 16, 22. You guys know the story of the rich man of Lazarus. The rich man has a table and he has this poor man. Lazarus basically feeding off the, the end meats of his scraps of his table. And then they both die. And the rich man goes down to, to Hades. And it says this. It says, the angels carried Lazarus to Abraham's side. So there when you're born again, but it seems like they also might be there when you pass away. And they're the ones that carry you to Jesus and His side. Isn't that an incredible thought? So they're there at the beginning of your born again and the end of your life. But they're also ministering to you guys right now and today and ministering to me. Again, the question is, do we have guardian angels? Do we have guardian angels? And that's, it's not as clear in the Scripture. Um, Psalm 91, again, says that, 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 that God sends angels to serve, guide, and protect us. But then there's this also an interesting point or verse in Matthew chapter 18 that, again, that you, you guys probably just kind of ripped over because I know I've, I've ripped over it. I, I can't ever remember going this, uh, reading this verse. But this is what it says about Matthew 18 in um, verse 10. Let me get there. Matthew 18, verse 10. It says this, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, talking about children, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always set their face before my Father. I was like, what every... It seems like every little child has an angel. Now, what can we can we say? Like, hey, every person has a guardian angel. It's again, it's not complete. I, I can, I, as Wayne Groom talks about, and I kind of agree with him. It's kind of like now, now football season starting. And it's like we might not all have each individual guardian angels, but we do have angels that kind of have uh, like areas in which they cover and they're responsible for. So, kind of like football, it's kind of like a zone coverage right now. You know. Like angels have zone coverages over certain parts of the earth and they minister to those people because angels can only be in one spot at one time. So do we have guardian angels? Maybe, maybe not. But we definitely know that angels are involved in your life and my life. 
They're sent as ministering spirits by the one who is more superior, Jesus, to carry out his plans for you and for me. And finally, angels. Angels are just good examples for us on how to obey and glorify the Lord. Because we're talking about holy angels. And what do they do? They, they rejoice and they, with joy. When they get a command from the Lord, they obey it and they obey it perfectly and they obey it without question. Because they understand. They're in the presence of, of God the Father. They're in the presence of Jesus. They understand what, what, what's around them. Who Jesus is. And when the King speaks, you obey the King and you obey with joy. And so it would be good for us to look at the angels and see how they serve and obey the Lord and His commands. So angels are incredible. And hopefully as you walk out these doors this morning, you realize the reason why this author of Hebrews brought angels up right after the prophets. Because they impact our lives daily. Now we, we might not, you know, the Lord doesn't tear behind the scenes and shows us how they are, but they are ministering spirits to you and to me. But here's the thing. Jesus is spare. Jesus is better. And again, they point us to Jesus. And so as we walk out those doors, let's be mindful of angels, but even more importantly, let's be mindful of the one who is more superior and the one who sends the good gift of angels to do His bidding in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this study. Lord, I was just... I was excited to go through this study this week and studying angels and just, just being reminded of, 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 of the supernatural world and how you use angels to, to worship you and to serve you and then also to serve and guide and direct and minister and guard us. It's an incredible thought. And so Lord, I pray that we would just be a little bit even more mindful of the, of the world, of the supernatural world, of the, the spiritual realities that are happening right now. That right now as we're worshiping and praying to You, that the angels are joining in with us and, and proclaiming that You are Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and You are the sovereign, superior King, ruling and reigning over this earth. And one day, Lord, we will, we will be face to face with angels, but more importantly, we'll be face to face with You. And we will be having some angel food cake with the angels, and that's going to be incredible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.